0: Hello friends and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets to keep up with our daily thoughts on hockey. As always, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, and the Odyssey app. Doing so does not cost a single cent and ensures you never miss another episode. On tonight's podcast, I thought it would be a good time to do a winners and losers of the 2020-2021 to 2021 NHL season. Obviously, this is kind of looking into the past and, and certainly a, a weird season that I think a lot of folks are probably not sure what to make of. I mentioned the other day that it would be hard to know if any of the results from this season should really be taken seriously outside of a few teams. But I think that there are, there's enough of a sample size here and enough data to work with that, You know, a lot of the teams that were probably at a certain level before most likely performed at a very similar level afterwards. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to argue that Tampa Bay isn't amazing, right? So, we'll go through our top teams this year, and then some of the teams that probably, for one reason or another, have a major loss this year. And then closing us out, I thought it would be great to talk about the Copa America and the uh, Euro 2020 Finals, and what we might expect from what should be two fantastic matchups between the best teams in their respective tournaments. Before we discuss the old kickball, though, let's talk about the old stick and puck, and I thought this year was a strange one in a lot of ways. I think a lot of teams are probably trying to figure out who was actually good, who was maybe a bit overperforming or even underperforming. Hard to really know what you can say about a team season when it was A, shortened significantly, and B, against all of the same teams repeatedly. It wasn't like you had a huge variety of squads to work with and play against. If you were in the North Division, you basically saw nothing but Canadian teams for almost the entire season. But of course, when it comes to teams that could be considered winners, we actually have quite a few candidates. Obviously, Tampa Bay, they're going to have to be one of the main choices. They won the Cup. I don't really think that there's much to say about it, other than the fact that a consecutive title very much validates their model of doing things and allows them to continue growing support within their organization for the way that they do things. They have been a masterful organization. They've done a ton of great work in scouting, talent acquisition, trades, and yet somehow their front office did not get a GM of the year nomination, which is kind of amazing, but, you know, another discussion for a different time. One of this season's other big winners has definitely been the Colorado Avalanche. I think Colorado has opened a lot of eyes to their their team, their roster, their really aggressive, high-pressure style of hockey. And uh, some of the really interesting talent there. That pot has been boiling for a while now, but it's finally kind of cooked over and people are starting to get a really good sense of the fact that that defensive unit on the back end is just really fast and really skilled, which allows them to do so much inside the offensive zone. Yeah, I mean, Colorado did have some issues, especially defensively, against a team like Vegas. But overall, I think, you know, Colorado has proven that, without a doubt, they are one of the most exciting young crops of talent and another playoff run Another good appearance and a youthful core that is only getting even more experienced and more skilled is just a really nasty beast to contend with long term. This is a team that looks like it is primed for a cup run at some point in the near future. Even if it takes them a couple more seasons to finally win it, I I could see this team easily getting a championship title in the next couple of years. Obviously, you need a lot to go right in a hockey season, and everything could fall apart for Colorado at various points, but it's hard to argue against their team. They at least seem to have a lot of their checklist uh, completed as far as what you look for in a cup contender. A few things that they do need to adjust and fix, but certainly nothing that they can't solve over the next couple years. A third winner you could definitely say was the Montreal Canadiens. This has been a very big season for them, and certainly I think they defied a lot of expectations. They made a cup finals, they represented the North Division, and proved that, in fact, maybe they could be the ones to break the, uh, the cup curse. And a lot of people were supporting them. It's it's odd because you don't often see all that many Canadian fans really backing the Habs. I know that a lot of Jets fans before the Jets relocated were Habs fans or something because they certainly couldn't be Leafs fans. No one wants to root for them. And the same could be said for rooting for a Western Albertan team. But, you know, as far as the Montreal Canadiens are concerned, a relatively inoffensive franchise when it comes to uh, Winnipeg Jets fans. But it seemed like a lot of folks recognized that this team was a, a ragtag group of Pretty likable guys. You know, you had Carey Price, who's been very strong, um, certainly has had a a lot of press coverage recently because of his indigenous roots and some of his ties to the local communities that he still interfaces with regularly and supports. And so you look at the rest of the season and you think about all the struggles that the team overcame, and it makes a really great story. Am I a Habs fan? No. Would I have liked them to win the Cup? I I don't think I would have been adverse to that at all. But you have to look at the season, especially in the context and everything, as a huge win. I know that they didn't end up winning the Cup, and I I do wonder long-term if, in fact, this maybe puts Montreal in a tighter spot if their management and front office kind of go the wrong direction in terms of how to get this team back on track. But again, they made the Cup Finals, they made a good show of it, and I think that there's there's something with that team that, long-term, maybe they could find a little bit more sustainability in their approach and model. That's if they stop signing guys like Sherratt and Edmondson for multiple seasons. One of the last big winners was a team that I think a lot of people weren't really expecting much from. I mentioned it in the previous episode that I had no idea the Panthers were ever going to do this, but, you know, the Florida Panthers actually turned their seasons around and had a really strong year. The past couple of Panthers seasons haven't exactly been ideal. Even when they've made the postseason, they haven't exactly been a true contender. And I would not exactly count on Sergei Bobrovsky being, you know, the guy to leads him to the promised land, essentially. But that is a strong roster. There's a lot of talent there. I think my biggest question with Florida is if their pipeline in the AHL and beyond is actually stable enough to support that team. I know that there's a lot of stories about the AHL squad not exactly being represented well. And with where that age group is for a lot of their players, which right now most of those guys are probably in their primes and starting to get closer to the exit of their primes... It'd be really crucial for the Panthers to start making preparations for additional talent and young players to step into the lineup who can bring more offense, more skill, and more speed. Joel Quenville seems to have a pretty okay idea as to how to run that team. He's made them a lot more exciting, a lot more fun to watch, and they've been legitimately dangerous. If they return to the playoffs next year, I do think that would be a team that would be a, a nice wild card contender, certainly a squad that I don't think anyone can sleep on. Even though they did not make it far in the postseason picture, you have to look at their season as a nice win. They turned a a bit of a corner, and they may have found a longer-term goalie solution if Chris Dreiger is the real thing. Now, of course, when it comes to this season, not everyone would be considered a winner. And I think there are a handful of teams that, let's be honest, maybe would like something of a reset button. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to put the Jets on this list as well. But we'll talk about who else joins them on this list of infamy in just a moment. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are talking about winners and losers of this season. We've covered a couple of teams that would be, you know, unquestionably winners of a sort. Now it's time to look at some of the teams that, if they had a chance to redo it over again, would probably change a number of things about their season. Unfortunately for us Jets fans, I have to put Winnipeg on this list. I know that they swept Edmonton in the first round, but overall, Winnipeg's season, I don't know, it was all that successful. I think there are two versions of this team, and the first is not the real one. The first version is this perception that the Jets are actually good in some capacity because they win a lot of games, even though a lot of that success has been driven by their goaltending, and a handful of very skilled scorers. As far as like the rest of the team's ability to drive play is concerned, Winnipeg is a little bit on the rougher side. I know that there's been modeling to suggest that maybe Winnipeg's team defense isn't nearly as bad as people make it out to be, But I think a lot of the reason that the defense struggles so much is because there's a lot of disunity in terms of a stylistic approach between how the forwards work and how the defenders work. Winnipeg in many ways is a team that you would imagine is designed for speed, but when you look at the roster construction and the tactical philosophy, it's a bit of a misalignment. There's not a a clear consensus here that shows the Jets are ready to take the next step. Montreal slapping the Jets in four games I think shows a lot of why I I remain suspicious of Winnipeg's long-term picture. I have yet to see anything from this team that makes me really believe in their long-term future, and certainly the present and and near-term playoff runs. I think that there is a talented team that's currently assembled, but it doesn't really have the primary ingredients to actually come together into something special. Connor Hellebuck is obviously one delicious and amazing ingredient, but he's only one guy on the team, and he can't cover for Winnipeg's mistakes forever. I know Paul Marie said something to the effect of Winnipeg fans needing to be in some capacity grateful that the Jets actually made the second round, that it shouldn't be looked upon as something with a shameful eye, but I don't know if you can really vibe with that sort of take when the Jets got swept in really embarrassing fashion and honestly did not outplay Edmonton either. The Jets at some point are going to have to be honest with themselves because we're going to keep having seasons that essentially result in some form of a bitter loss if Winnipeg is not capable of recognizing its own flaws and becoming proactive to solve them. I look at another team that I would classify as a loser, but I I tend to think that this team in particular is a lot more aggressive in terms of trying to plug those gaps. And I'm, of course, referring to the Las Vegas Golden Knights. When it comes to teams that are really aggressive at the trade deadline and look to actively improve their roster however they can, I feel like Vegas has been among the more, I would say, aggressive and progressive teams. Obviously, Mark Stone was a major acquisition, but of course they've made a number of big signings like Alexander Petrangelo. And while I personally think some of their acquisitions and, and dealings maybe put them in a spot that is longer term not as great, I think they understand that they are right now a cup contender. And they also seem to be self-aware enough to recognize that the team does still have a number of gaps that they have to work on, but they've gone about it in a pretty aggressive manner trying to fill those gaps and elevate the team to the next level. I think that they have a, a good, bright future ahead of them, but of course that does rely on some of their prospects panning out and they continued decent decision-making from the front office. If at any point Vegas starts to kind of go off the deep end, I could imagine that that team would actually spiral out of control really quickly, but for the time being, they seem to be doing okay. One team that definitely knows what is wrong with it but maybe doesn't have an in-house solution for that problem, is going to be the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think Pittsburgh was expecting Tristan Jari to really be the guy in net, and if not, maybe Casey DeSmith could fill in and at least do some backup duties while Jari either worked on his form or was motivated enough to unseat DeSmith as the starter. What ended up happening was that Pittsburgh kind of had something of a goalie carousel, and while Tristan Jari was pretty good in, in certain stretches of the season— when it came to the playoffs, he was pretty bad. The series against the Islanders was Pittsburgh doing really good job at even strength of dominating play and then surrendering goals off of really dumb mistakes and saves that, frankly, you know, Jari needs to be making. The problem for the Pens is that when it comes to goalies, trying to predict which one, especially, like, these random free agents and 30-plus-year-old guys is going to be the guy who suddenly goes on a hot streak and and wins you a season, those are always really difficult to predict. You can find guys who are probably league average and at least halfway decent, but in terms of like a clear-cut number one starter, there won't be an abundance of goaltenders like that freely available on the market, or even at a price. A lot of teams tend to hang on to their more franchise netminder players, or just guys producing at a very high level, because, you know, finding a goaltender who can actually elevate his play and work for you is, is not exactly easy especially when you're looking for a, a goalie who is essentially championship caliber. The rest of Pittsburgh's roster performed at a very high level for the most part. That was a great team, and I feel like if they had just a few extra saves from Jari, they could easily have been on to a round with Tampa Bay towards the uh, the finals. I've classified Pittsburgh as a loser, though, because this season I felt like was one of their last big hurrahs. They don't have many years left with Crosby and Malkin playing at a very high level. And while players like Jake Gensel and Brian Rust often bring really good complementary high-end scoring ability, I think the biggest question is how much longer this this fairy tale ride for Mike Sullivan lasts. A lot of these guys have aged out. A lot of players are maybe not as productive as they used to be. And, you know, a lot of these guys have also been missing time. You know, Chris Letang has certainly had many of his, uh, his fair share of injuries. You've had Crosby, who, you know, generally does not miss games, but had a couple of injuries over the past couple of seasons that sidelined him for extended periods of time. Malkin's dealt with some serious injuries as well. So I think you have to look at this roster and recognize that if Pittsburgh feels like it's in a win-now state, it will need to be aggressive in the free agency and trade market this season. I feel like they're primed for a big move or two. I don't know how they're going to pull it off, but I do think that Ron Hextel probably sees this team basically... I wouldn't say in a death throes, but certainly on the downward trend of of where Crosby and Malkin are able to perform at an extremely high level. And I think you have to recognize this is likely one of the few remaining seasons where you have those guys playing at such an elite level with a team that supports them and complements them perfectly. If they can find a goaltender who can actually help them out, I think that they're going to move into the winners column very quickly and restore themselves to a better playoff run. A lot of the pieces are there to be a winner, but it's just kind of finding those gaps and filling them before the uh, the start of next season that's going to determine whether Pittsburgh is a serious contender or a team heading for inevitable heartbreak. I would not say I like Pittsburgh all that much, but I also have to respect their team and their process and a lot of their really great players. They need to get Sid one last chance at a cup run because he probably doesn't have many left in the tank. Given my criteria for what I felt was a team that could be classified as a loser, I'd love to know which teams you felt really struggled this year, and could be considered a loser for some reason, be sure to let me know your justification at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter. I might talk about some of your picks for winners and losers on the next episode, so, you know, drop me some suggestions, and let's discuss. And now it is time to pivot to one of the other much-talked-about sporting events of the world. It has been the, uh, the Euro 2020, but we also have the Copa America Final coming up on consecutive match days here over the weekend. Before we talk about these fabulous matches and what they may hold in store for us, I did want to tell you about why Built Bars are the best-tasting protein bars on the market. For those of you who are longtime listeners of this podcast, by now you know that I'm personally a huge fan of Built Bars, and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, they're so darn good because they're the only protein bar that tastes more like a candy bar, with a 100% chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. They come in fabulous flavors like coconut, cherry barcia, salted caramel, and more. But make sure you're following Biltbar's social media channels and their website because they often release very special, limited edition, limited quantity flavors, and trust me, you don't want to miss them. Once they're gone, they're usually gone for good. And oh boy, are they delicious. If a flavor like Churro Puff sounds delicious to you, then make sure to subscribe to BiltBar.com right now. As great as built bars taste, they're even better for you. With most bars clocking in at around 130 to 180 calories, 70 to 18 grams of protein, and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs, you get all the flavor with none of the guilt. To place your order, go to built.com and use promo code locked15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, that is promo code locked15 for 15% off at built.com. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are closing out tonight's show with some thoughts on uh, the upcoming Euro 2020 and Copa America finals, both of which are going to be happening on Saturday and Sunday. The first match is the Copa America final between Brazil and Argentina. I think a lot of people are going to be tuning in because these two teams are... For obvious reasons, among the most storied uh, national teams in football history, Brazil has always had an incredible roster of talent and legends of the game. But, you know, for a lot of reasons, Brazil has struggled over the past couple of decades to continue that level of dominance and turn it into World Cup titles. While the Copa Trophy is not exactly on the level of a World Cup, everyone is still dying for this in Brazil. I know that they're looking for a title. They're very much wanting to claim this one. It's a tournament Brazil has usually had a decent amount of success in, especially over the past several years. But, you know, when it comes to World Cup football, not exactly a tournament that they have managed to advance in. And even though Copa has a lot less high-end competition, it's still a bit of a meat grinder. I mean, this this is a tough competition. And now Argentina is going to be their finals opponent. And honestly, the match could go either way. Argentina is one of those teams that I feel like is is a little bit inconsistent. You know, aside from Lionel Messi and a number of other really top-end performers, that team just doesn't really feel like it gels together. But Argentina should still provide plenty of goal-scoring threat, along with a pretty good midfield and a pretty solid defense. You know, you've got players like Tagliafico and, of course, Messi, Lautaro Martinez and Emmy Martinez in net who has been very strong. So this is this is a battle-tested team. They've uh, seen off some very difficult opponents. And while Argentina, you know, they do have a reputation of choking in major competitions, Messi made a pen in a uh, a semifinal match and it was one of the most important pens of his career. So I I would imagine that everyone's kind of thinking this is the year that they finally do it and break the recent title drought. You know, Argentina is always very talented, but of course, um, winning titles is is a little bit challenging for them, so we'll see how they handle this. They're looking for some more silverware to add to their collection. Both Brazil and Argentina are certainly uh, very storied teams, and I think they're both looking to stamp their, their identity on this one and try and win out this match. I mean, it's going to be a tough one. But of course, the the premier match of the weekend between the top teams that are are currently in European competition right now, it's going to have to be between England and Italy. I think both of these teams would probably beat Argentina and Brazil, and I don't know that it would be all that close. Because Italy especially is just playing at a phenomenally high level with an incredibly deep midfield, a very strong defense, and a pretty darn good attacking unit. England is not quite as talented. They're still a very good team, I think. In terms of attacking talent, Italy might be slightly at a disadvantage in comparison. I just think the English have a more robust winger group and, uh, you know, of course, one of the top strikers in the world. And while Ciro Immobile, Insigne, and Chiesa are certainly nothing to sniff at, in fact, you know, they are world-class talents, I'm not quite sure it's on the level of Sterling, Kane, Sancho, Foden, pretty much anyone that they throw up at the top. Where the battle is really going to be won and lost is going to come to the midfield, which... You know, Italy's midfield's pretty dominant. They have just about every sort of player that you could imagine. Whether you want the technical prowess or defensive stability of guys like Locatelli and Barella, plus, you know, of course you've got Jorginho, who's been a master maestro in the midfield, and certainly this team just seems to control possession. They know how to thread perfect passes and routes up through their highly skilled attackers. So, and I mean, this, this team is extremely disciplined. They're well organized. I feel like they've been the strongest performers, and England's going to have a tough battle. I think the Brits are looking for at least to some degree, a little bit of good fortune. It's going to be a tight match, though. I think this one, for me, is a coin flip. I feel like both teams are very fairly here in this final. They've both been among the best teams, if not the best, just as Argentina and Brazil have been in the Copa. So I feel like we actually get two finals that are genuinely, I would say, the best teams in both tournaments. And sure, a lot of people will say, well, England has had all home games this this tournament, but I mean, you know, plenty of tournaments in the past have had winners where the home team, I guess, technically had the advantage, but I don't really feel like that has actually made as much of a difference as people want to make it out to be. I just think people want to discredit England's success because it's the popular thing to do and everyone hates England, even though maybe they aren't actually much of a team that you should hate these days. But I'd be curious to know who you back anyway, so be sure to let me know at Loco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. I guess I'm rooting for Argentina and England to a degree, though I'm only choosing England because I have a couple of uh, Borussia Dortmund players who are on that roster that I am very partial to. So don't get too mad at me. I won't wax on about my uh, my rooting interests, though. That'll do it for tonight's episode. But while I may be done for tonight's show, you have another great podcast that I guarantee you'll love, and you should check it out because you can get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked Under Day podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked Under Day podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your favorite media. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go!